0: You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's
1: move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am Rico Mohammed, your host of Rates and Lanes. And tonight, we're going to be joined by our special guest, of snow. So if you got any questions that you would like to get into, either myself or Chuck, go ahead and press number one. That puts you in the phone queue for our screen to try to get you to call screen, and we'll get you right up and get you either your comment or your question right on the air. Tonight, we're going to start out as we normally do. We're going to uh, take a look at the USDA truck rate report, vegetable truck rate report. And really quickly, you know, I wish that I had some Really good news to share with everyone, but unfortunately, it's kind of more the um, same. It's, it's almost like a repeat there, as far as the truck and vegetable report is concerned, and our, even the DAT report, and we'll get into that in just a second. But um, unfortunately, theres there aren't any markets that are showing a shortage or a slight shortage when it comes to moving any fruits and vegetables. Every market is either reporting adequate supply slight surpluses or surpluses of of supplies of trucks. So it's not really going to do us a whole lot of good to really get into uh, a whole lot on the USDA Truck Market Report. It's a copy of it. It's pasted up on the uh, Rates and Lanes Facebook page. If you would like to go over to the Rates and Lanes Facebook page, give us a like, and uh, you can click on the link right over there directly to the USDA Fruit and Vegetable Truck Rate Report. Um... And I, there are some other little nuggets and tidbits that I'm going to share with you, maybe a little later. If I don't get a chance to get to it, I'll be posting it on the uh, Rickson Lang's Facebook page as well. There are a couple of articles that I found that might be useful for anyone that is hauling any type of um, reef for freight when it comes to fruits and vegetables and things of that nature. So, with that, without any further ado, we'll move right along and get into the DAT trend lines report for this week. And like I was saying before, same with the, um, same at the USDA rates hold steady for all equipment types. Uh, this is the load of, uh, this is the DAT report for October 18th through the 24th. Load availability declined for vans, reefers, and flatbeds last week, but rates were unchanged as the national average. And we're going to jump into and look at. What the US van demand segment of the report looks like for the week of October eighteenth through the twenty fourth. Van loads post slipped three point nine percent but truck capacity increased two point one percent. The resulting load to truck ratio fell five point nine percent from one point four loads to truck loads per truck down to one point three loads per truck. But the national average van rate held steady on the spot market. Ratio holds on in September. Van loads post added 2% in September compared to August and capacity recovered 18%. The resulting load-to-truck ratio held steady at 1.8 loads per truck for the third consecutive month. Compared to the typical conditions of September 2014, the ratio has declined 42% over that. Moving on and looking at how the U.S. van rates performed over the past, The national average van rates held steady at $1.72 per mile. Rates were on the rise across the West, but prices fell in Chicago and Dallas. Van rates in September dipped one cent compared to August at $1.74 per mile. The national average was 28 cents below the rate for September of 2014, due partially to fall in the fuel surcharge of $0.22 over that time time frame. Taking a look across different segments of the country, we're going to start out in the northeastern portion of the United States, where Philadelphia shows an average rate for dry vans at $1.80 per mile. Moving into the southeastern portion of the United States, we show a rate coming out of Atlanta, Georgia, for dry vans at $1.69 per mile. Moving into the Midwest, Chicago checks in showing an average rate for dry vans at $1.93 per mile. Down in the south-central portion of the United States, Dallas checks in showing an average rate of $1.55 per mile. And coming out of the West Coast, the City of Angels reports an average rate setting the high watermark at $2.03 per mile coming out of the West Coast for dry vans. Moving on over to the U.S. flatbed segment for October 18th through the 24th, flatbed load availability fell 7.3% on the spot market while truck postings were up 4.2%. As a result, the load-to-truck ratio dropped 11. However, the national average flatbed rate stayed the same. Flatbed freight availability dropped 4.8% in September and capacity added 2.8% to yield a 16% decline in the load-to-truck ratio. The ratio was 10.5 lowest per truck in September, down from 11.3 in August. Compared to the unusually high demand set back in September 2014, the ratio for flatbeds has declined 66% since that time frame. Moving on over to the U.S. flatbed rates report, the national average rate held steady at $2 per mile for flatbed but demand continues to decline on the spot market, $0.03 cents compared to August. Compared to September 2014, last month's rate fell $0.35 cents per mile in partially with $0.25 cents decline in the average fuel surcharge. Taking a look at rates across the country, starting out in the Northeast, we have Harrisburg checking in showing an average rate of $3.09 per mile for flatbeds, Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Atlanta, Georgia checking in showing an average rate of $2.34 per mile. Coming out of the Midwest, we have Rock Island checking in showing an average rate for uh, for flatbeds at $2.33 per mile. Moving down to the south-central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas checks in showing an average rate for flatbeds at $2.17 per mile. Coming out of the West Coast, Phoenix, Arizona, shows a rate for flatbeds at a paltry $1.71 per mile. Moving on over into the reefer demand segment of the EAT Trend Lines report. And like I said, this entire report, we have it copied and pasted up in the Rates and Lanes Facebook page, so you can also get a copy of this report there. The link right there, you can click on it, you can save it, put it into your archives, just something if you want to uh start trying to archive the reports to, to help you get a little bit more abreast on what things have been doing historically, it's always a good idea to maybe keep a uh, you know, keep uh keep one of these filed back. But with no delay, let's get up back over into the uh national reefer demand and capacity report. The reefer loads postings decreased one point six percent while truck postings rose two point eight percent that led to a load to truck ratio five loads per truck, a four point percent decline from the previous week. There were two point three fewer reefer loads <coughs> excuse me. There were two point three fewer loads available in September compared to August. And capacity declined four percent as a result, the load to truck ratio was unchanged at four point seven loads per truck compared to a typical result from September 2014, the ratio fell 48%. Moving over into the U.S. reefer rates, national reefer rates for October 18th through the 24th, reefer rates averaged $1.95 per mile. Nationally, and they were unchanged from the previous week, but reefer demand continues to decline. In Northern California and Upper Midwest, rates declined as fall harvest waned and Uh, outbound rates rose in Lakeland, Florida. Which is surprising because this is one of the worst markets for oranges. That was one of the things I was going to talk about as well. One of the worst markets for oranges in in about 50 years. Um, Reefer rates slipped two cents lower in September compared to August. Year over year, reefer spot market rates were down 31 cents, due mostly to a 25 cents drop in the average fuel surcharge. Quickly taking a look at rates across the country, We have Elizabeth, New Jersey, checking in, showing an average rate for reefers coming out of the northeastern portion of the United States at $1.78 per mile. Down in the southeastern portion of the United States, we show an average rate of $1.41 per mile coming out of Lakeland, Florida. Moving into the midwest portion of the United States, setting the high water mark, Green Bay, Wisconsin continues to be a hotbed uh, area for reefers coming out of Green Bay, Wisconsin showing an average rate for reefers at $2.64 per mile. Moving down to the south-central portion of the United States, coming out of the Rio Grande Valley, McAllen, Texas, shows an average rate for reefers at $1.62 per mile. Moving on over to the West Coast and wrapping up the trend lines report for this week, Fresno, California is the city that they're showing the rate coming out of the West Coast at an average rate of $1.85 per mile for reefers. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, kind of trying to continue to encourage everyone that if you have to work on the spot market, you know, barely trying to do it wisely, but always try to keep in mind and set a goal to begin to really try to develop and cultivate some direct customers uh, so that you can try to insulate yourself from some of the the, the bad swings that are going on right now in the spot market. And with no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's bring on our special guest and let's check in with him and see what, what he's been going, what's been going on with him and what he's been up to. Mr. Chuck Snow. Chuck, are
0: you there? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Rico, how are you? I am well. And yourself? We're doing well up here.
1: Good, good, good. So, hey, and any of that white stuff starting to hit the ground yet?
0: No, thank you. We had a couple of specs of it uh, a couple of weeks ago, but no, it's actually uh, quite warm for here. And uh, rainy, we're getting part of that, uh, the remnants of that hurricane that hit uh, Mexico and Texas and uh, came up that way. So uh, we've had a lot of rain, but nothing compared to some of those people in Texas. Yeah,
1: yeah. They, they, they've been getting pounded with that, uh, with, with the hurricane and everything else that's been going on. Um, so Chuck, been about a month since we've last touched base. Check us up and tell us what's going on with you guys up in, up in Canada and some of the things you guys got going on over at Tracker.
0: Well, uh, we're busy. Uh, we're bringing on new business all the time. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any shortage of work here for us, but in general, uh, I think that the trucking industry in Canada has seen a real shift, even more so since the last time we spoke. Um, we noticed there's uh, There's a lot more available outbound out of Canada going into the U.S. and a lot less inbound from the U.S. coming into Canada. So, you know, six months ago, we could put a truck anywhere in the U.S. and people would be clamoring to load it back. Not the case anymore. Uh, We're getting our trucks back, but it's work. Um, You know, in certain areas that were... Really ripe with uh, with freight, such as Chicago. It's some. There are some days it's a struggle to get home, and of course rates hmm. have declined as a result. So you know that's the that's the harshness of this market, and unfortunately, for the most part, although there is more outbound freight than there is inbound, the the rates haven't caught up with the um, with the de- decrease in availability of freight uh, coming in. So the outbound rates really have not gone up much. Little bits here right. and there, and that's nothing, you know, we're off kilter I a little was, bit. Yeah, I
1: was just gonna say, that one of the things that I always seem to notice in the morning when I I happen to be up and I'm on the low board and I'm looking around, checking things, and one of the first things I usually always do is go on my hot market map uh, on, on the DAT, and, and I look up and, and my neighbors up to the north, you know, y'all area is always dark, heavily dark in color up that way versus down here in the United States here lately. It's been really light, and the darker the map, the more freight there is, and, and the lighter the map, the less freight there is. So you guys seem to be uh, uh, doing a little bit better than what's been going on down here in this portion of of the world.
0: Yes yeah, so and no. Uh, you see, the only reason that we're know, that our exports are flourishing is because of our cheap dollar. Our dollar's been devaluated because we had a petrol based dollar. And you know, our dollar we were so dependent upon oil. And you know, Western Canada, especially Alberta, is really it's reeling right now because, you know, these projects, these oil projects, once they've met completion, they're just shutting them down.
1: I did get an email last night because I am subscribed, so I I did
0: see that uh, you put another blog post out. Yes, I did. Um, I did one. uh, There was a really interesting article. If anybody out there gets a chance, uh, Google it. It's an article that was in, I believe it was yesterday's um, uh, Wall Street Journal. And it was written by a Jack uh, Nikas, N-I-C-A-S. And Laura Stevens, and what it really said was that um, there's a big push now in the Silicon Valley to develop apps and develop to develop technology that's going to remove the the brokers and really push for the um, shipper to carrier direct and cut out all the the middlemen and. You know, this has been tried all over the place, and people have been pushing for this for years, and there's a lot of big money behind this, but, you know, these are venture capitalists, and frequently, they're not playing with their own money, and even if they are, if they hit a jackpot, they end up, whatever they invest, they end up making 20 times. So, the risk is actually, although it's high, the rewards are huge. And I think a good salesperson making a good case to somebody that does not understand our industry or our profession would buy into this because it makes a lot of sense when you when you look at it from the onset. But once you dig into it and you know this business, you realize that people want relationships, and that's what I wrote about. I really, you know, for years people have been trying to remove the the middleman, or the broker from the equation because you know he's making you know 15 or 20 percent on the transaction but what they forget is that there's a cost to doing business and right. that's what i mentioned in my blog you know there's a huge investment for any legitimate broker in technology uh in office space you know real estate's not cheap you've got to hire sales we talk about that all the time, Rico, about you know selling freight. Anybody that's listening out there that has tried to get their own customers, I think they probably know. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's not easy. and It's not easy for well,
1: anybody. Let, let me... Let me, let me I, I had this article up. I was going to post it tomorrow, but since we're talking about it, I, 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 it, it's perfect for what we're talking about real quickly. I'm just going to break this down. There's a, there's a article on DAT's blog, and they talked about uh, thirty-four dollars profit on a fifteen hundred dollar load, and they give they break down and give a scenario, and it's actually kind of you know the, the numbers kind of line up. Uh, based on a fifteen hundred dollar load at a fifteen percent gross margin, gross revenue per load at fifteen hundred dollars, and then you say carrier settlement eighty-five percent of that fifteen hundred dollars, so that puts you at twelve seventy-five, which leaves two twenty-five as your gross margin at that point, which is the fifteen percent. Well, out of that, out of that fifteen percent, that two hundred twenty-five dollars is left over. Payroll and benefits they got at fifty five percent. That's that's one hundred and twenty four bucks. Office and utilities, another twenty percent. That's forty five bucks out of that one twenty four. That brings you down to fifty six dollars uh, before uh, before tax profit and after federal and state. And that leaves you with a, with a, with thirty four dollars off a fifteen hundred dollar load. Um, now, of course, that's that may not be the case for some of the some of the mega mega brokers or something out there. But that kind of gives you a little bit of a snapshot of the the, the, the broker may not be. Uh, making out as, as, as like offended as as much as we may think.
0: Oh, I I totally agree. There was a, a very very large brokerage house up here in Canada. Um, matter of fact, they're still around. They were they were bought out, but they were working on an eight percent. And uh, wow! And I got to tell you that things got real skinny, and they barely you know towards the end. Uh, they barely met payroll. Uh, you can't do it. It was costing them uh, nine or ten percent. <laughs> you know they were losing money on every transaction, although they were voluminous. And even the big houses, like the and you know the CHs of the world, um, you know there's yeah they're, they they're moving more um, more transactions a day, but with that their overhead goes up. And they need, you know, they need more people. Uh, They need more compliance people. Uh, They need more technology. So it's all relevant. And, you know, everybody's always complaining about the broker. And as I stated in my blog, um, you know, from the carrier side, I'm damn glad to get that load when the broker tenders it to me when my truck is stuck somewhere in Iowa or Chicago or California. So they are out there. You know, there's a misconception that brokers are evil and that there's no value added every time you get your truck loaded from a broker that's value added it's value added to you as a motor carrier and it's certainly value added to the shipper because he made a call and he got his load moved and there's definitely a right. cost to that to that broker to go out and find that load for you and to keep that customer Going so that when you are in that area, you can get that load. Well, I mean, and the thing that
1: we've been kind of harping on, the thing that we've been talking about, and I kind of touched on it a little bit about you know going and, and getting your you know trying to develop relationships and getting your own uh, customers. Unfortunately, most carriers, not all, but most carriers that that you know the one truck, the the one and two truck, you know, small guys. The majority of his freight, unfortunately, comes off of a low bull, which means it's broke it freight. And we, we, if if you continue to do the same thing, you're not going out here and trying to sell yourself and your company and your brand to try to develop those relationships and cultivate those things so that you can get a little bit of a better rate. The gap between the contract rate and the spot market rate right now is widening. Um, I, think, I think that, you know, you, Definitely want to try to get yourself mixed in with some contract freight and, and step away from some of the spot market stuff because right now there's a place, there's a nature of supply and demand, and right now there there are uh, the truck stops are filled up with trucks
0: looking for loads. The race to the bottom, Rico. You're right, absolutely. But you can't. You know, um, there's so much preaching that goes on in our industry. Um, you know, from Kevin and the the team about getting your own authority. And I'm all in favor of that. And I think he's right. As long as you you market yourself accordingly and and I say it every week, you can't you know, if you go and get your own forty eight state authority and you go to market yourself as a forty eight state carrier with your two trucks or three trucks, good luck. You're not gonna have any luck. Yeah. You have to you gotta have a definite plan you got to plan your work work your plan you need to go from you know chicago to milwaukee or you know chicago to minneapolis or or minneapolis to des moines whatever it is and maybe it's a certain commodity you know whether it's flatbed or tanker um you know you can't just run open board you're going to get more of what you got now it doesn't well even even before even
1: before we go to the point where people are going out and getting their own authority, I, I, some, some people really need to take a step back and even evaluate whether or not they want to be a truck owner. A lot of times people got this, I think, that the rosy picture, the misconception of being an owner-operator and what it takes to be an owner-operator, they, you know, saying it, 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 we bought a nice, shiny image of it, of of, of what we perceive it's going to be like. And and not try not to, to impede or scare anyone off that wants that, that has that as a goal or that has that as a um you know, that that's where they wanna be. But there is it's it's a big hairy, uh audacious thing when you get when you get involved in finding out exactly how much these truck parts cost, how much it costs to maintain these trucks. And, and so on and so forth, and and I think that that's uh, another thing that just got a lot of people that are coming in that are romanticizing and thinking that, oh, I, all I got to do is buy a truck, and I'm
0: going to be rich, <laughs> and nothing <laughs> nothing's further from the truth. Oh, that, you know, you're right, and I get guys calling me all the time, and girls too, and, you know, they're drivers, and right now I have some some of my older trucks for sale, and Quite often, more often than not, I talk people out of it because I can tell right away that they don't have the right temperament. They've uh, they've driven truck for a while, and they go to the truck stops, and they see these trucks, and they think that they're going to get away with something. I have drivers working for me here that were owner-operators, some of them for 30 years, that have sold their trucks and rather than take on the debt, make more money driving a company truck. And these people aren't stupid. Right. And, and the other thing, the other thing that I was going to real quick point that I was going to make,
1: and I, I feel like I need to make this point is that a lot of people really honestly, if you be, really be honest with themselves, um, don't really have the work ethic to be an owner operator or even to be a, to be a, to be a, um, a motor carrier. It's, um, once you put your word out there, I don't think, I, you know, i am kind of some of the things that I'm going through, I may be venting a little bit, <laughs> some of my little growing pains from, from, from my little situations, but you know, once, once you, once you put your word out there and okay, you're, you're, if, if you are carrying, you're trying to grow and you, you, you got a driver that, that flicks off on a load. well, guess what you got to now, the way that I perceive that is I got to make that load good come hook a crook. So yep. th- if that means I got to go and jump, jump in the truck and go out there and, and cover the load and, and, Hey, guess what? That's what I got to go do. Yeah. And I, I, I think that a lot of people um, kind of miss that. You know what I'm saying? Once you put your word out there, or once you commit to something, you know, it, it's like, well, it's no big deal. You know what I'm saying? There, there, there's, a, there's another, there's another load coming on uh, where well, you know, not can get off this load. You know what I'm saying? That, that will quickly put yourself in a, in a conundrum in a bind and i think that a lot of people don't have a real appreciation for you know just doing we're quick to always bash and talk about brokers but guess what that's one of the things that that brokers have to combat against is very same mentality of of guys that okay oh well i can't cover the load
0: not my problem it's more than that rico it's you know brokers in general, and the good ones, anyways, we, if something goes wrong, in general, you got to make what we call make the customer whole. And right. you know, we had a we had a case just this last week. Customer um, shipped eleven pallets going to or 12, twelve pallets, five and seven. Five were going to um, British Columbia, and seven were going to uh, uh, Calgary, Alberta. And I ended up giving him the, uh, the lows. They were, I think, out of Iowa. He he went. He went. Dropped everything off in Calgary to a warehouse. The warehouse gave the Calgary freight to a local carrier. Um, they lost one of the pallets. He delivered. Um, he delivered too many pallets to the other uh, place in British Columbia. It was a dog's breakfast. But he still lost a pallet. And it was about $4,000. Customer was ticked. He was really upset. How did you lose my pallet? Well, you know what? Without even... We had bills. And we saw there was a legitimate shortage. Without anything, I just cut a check. Because we knew we were in the wrong. Right Now I'm going after that carrier's insurance and Um, you know, his insurance will have to pay for it or he'll have to pay for it depending on his deductible. But that's the sort of stuff that on my, when I wear my broker's hat that I need to do. And you know, if it was my truck that one of my drivers that made the mistake again, put my carrier hat on, I'm going to make it right again because I'm a motor carrier as well. I wear two hats and people, people listening out there that want to become Motor carriers, be prepared. Um, if you have drivers, and your driver makes a mistake, doesn't matter what it is, because I've seen them all. Everything from drivers beating the hell out of a truck and jamming a truck into low gear going down a mountain in Vermont and popping parts out of a Cummins engine. Um, you know, I've seen that to uh, to trucks that were upside down, to freight that was stolen. I've seen it all. Uh, you know, there's not a lot I haven't I'm, seen. I'm, I'm starting, I'm starting to fill my diary up with some stories too, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, if I ever retire, I'm going to spend my first six months writing a book about this because people wouldn't believe some of the stuff. But you know, the trucking business is by far the toughest business in the world, and if oh. you can do this one. You can do anything business out there you could not run if you can run one of these things
1: well chuck having kind of this conversation kind of leads me into a, uh, another direction i'm I, I want to come back a little bit and touch on the piece what we were talking about with the um with the uh the apps and everything right. but um there are a slew of new regulations and stuff that are coming down and being on the horizon and everything and one of the things that I wanted to kind of touch on and try to get you. Uh, pick your brain on something that carriers, shippers, and brokers got to be uh, concerned about. Uh, it's supposed to be a new FMCHA, uh, FMCSA rule published on October the twenty ninth, uh, pertaining to driver coercion. And uh, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious as to and it's probably going to be another question that we'll we'll talk to Hank Seaton about the uh, transportation attorney when we have him back on again. He kind of touched on it a little bit last week. But, um, but that penalty for driver coercion, whether it be brokers, carriers, or shippers, carries with it an eleven thousand dollar per offense fine. Um, I don't know many people that can just drop the plunk down eleven thousand dollars on the barrelhead uh if if someone just happens to hey I don't know if that's gonna be
0: your word against
1: mine type deal.
0: I gotta tell you from the offset, this sounds like one of those laws that. Isn't in the end going to have a whole lot of teeth, but a bunch of lawyers are going to be able to make enough money to buy new sailboats. Well, from what, uh, let me, let me give you a
1: little bit more information about it. It says that, that, uh, under this rule that the the OSHA is going to be the enforcement agency, uh, and that, that the people that the drivers who complain of coercion are going to be treated under the federal law whistleblower that.
0: You know, OK, uh, I got to tell you, with everything else going on in the United States and they're going to pick on this and, and not and it's not that it's not right, you know, there should be some fairness here, but I cannot see how they're going to allocate enough funding to, to be able to enforce this the way it needs to be enforced. There's too many other things you've got cities that you know the infrastructures are falling apart you got state highways that need fixing you've got terrorists you got drug addicts you got all this other stuff and you're going to you really think that the US federal government's going to put a lot of effort into coercion against truck drivers I hope not but uh and like I said it's it's going to be interesting to
1: see how you know how is this new rule supposed to be uh enforced and, and you know just kind of see the nuts and bolts of, of everything but, but I mean that's kind of uh, that's kind of crazy right there. And that's one of the things that we want to try to do. And I want to to try to do a better job of is trying to inform the uh, public as far as the motor carrier public about these rules when they're coming down because we have to start being more politically involved, especially when these uh, rule makings come out. We have to try to make sure that our voices get heard. Um, that's something that we need to be paying, att- paying more attention to and being more vocal about. Um, you know who is going as to you degree.
0: know. You're right, Rico, and, and I think your large shippers, your Fortune 500 companies, they run well. That's why they're Fortune 500 companies, and right. and they will take notice of that law because they've got a legal team that sits up at night and reads up about what laws affect them, and they've got lawyers of every you know of every type on retainer keeping them abreast and informed of changes in legislature in legislation that will affect them and I think you'll see them comply 100%. There will be the smaller shippers that are just going to ignore this. And what you're going to see, I bet you is on the copy of one of the headlines of uh, transport topics is somebody's going to get busted and he will, he or she will be the sacrificial lamb for this new law.
1: Right. And right. Cause I, you know, I, I just thinking about, you know, um, just, we'll just use the classic example, fresh chicken, you know, uh, everybody probably can take as hard stories when it comes to dealing with fresh chicken. And if you're doing a live hold on a fresh chicken, and you've been held there, you know, uh, Sometimes ten, twelve, fifteen. I've seen even as much as twenty-four hours to get loaded at some of these places, and and they, and they some, a lot of times you know they they expect the next day delivery on some of this stuff. Um,
0: wow, I'm I'm just curious if, <laughs> as you're
1: to right how so that whole produce, thing is going
0: yeah, to be. You're right, and the produce industry—that's how it works. You know, a driver drives up, he to a shed, he backs in the door. Uh he pulps the produce. Um the produce is supposed to be at uh thirty five degrees Fahrenheit. It's at a hundred and two because it just came off the field. And he sits on right. weeks. And that's one right. of the big and the issues. Other... And then Yep, go ahead.
1: Well the other thing that I wanted to kind of get your pick your brain on as well is this uh national carrier hiring standard that, that um and I'll just read it to you. It says, this legislation will require that all broker shippers ensure that each carrier that they hire is properly registered with the FMCSA, holds minimum insurance coverages, and does not have an unsatisfactory safety rating. Uh, when will it happen? The TIA has been working to get the standard inserted into the next long-term highway funding bill. The extension of the current highway funding bill will expire on October the 29th, but Congress may pass another short-term extension without including the new measures before December. And it says, why, why should brokers care? Brokers would benefit from a national standard because it would help to eliminate guesswork on carrier selection. For example, if a carrier is being safe by the FMCSA, the broker may be relieved of legal liability if the carrier is involved in a serious accident. So I just wanted to kind of get your, get your take on this new national hiring standard that they're trying to get inserted as well.
0: You know, I'm in favor of it. I, I have a uh, if a broker, or if a carrier is deemed unsatisfactory. Now, I've seen some carriers deemed unsatisfactory that when you really look into it, um, you know, they had a couple of tickets, but they've only got a couple of trucks, and maybe they had two or three tickets, and some of them have, may have been fairly benign. And all of a sudden, they get audited and they're deemed unsatisfactory, and it's a little bit harsh sometimes. And I think that really, I think we need to change the the terminology here because if they're doing everything right and they've had a couple of, and that you know anybody out there that has truck drivers when they leave your yard, you have no control. So you know, Absolutely. in some states, you know, Ontario for one, um, you know, a driver not wearing a seatbelt, I believe, is two points. Um, and I think federally in the U.S., a driver picking up his cell phone in some states, uh, that's a right. huge amount of, of points. It only takes a couple of these, and a carrier with a satisfactory rating becomes unsatisfactory. So, Real quick. I really think that the... Um, I think they really need to change some of the scoring in order to do this effectively so that the Buyer, whether it's a shipper or whether it's a, uh, a broker, knows really what he's dealing with. Like, Let's be fair about it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't wear your seatbelt. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a big difference between flagrant abuse of the system and and somebody that just does not follow laws. You don't want that carrier on the road. They're a menace to the road. And forget about the unsatisfactory. If they're that bad, poor buddy, bloody license plates. That's what they do in Ontario.
1: And I think think that some of the stuff that they're talking about as far, I understand the whole part of, of, from the standpoint of, it kind of gives the broker a little bit of um a little bit of a safe haven to say hey uh to try to alleviate some of this uh vicarious liability that been going on if they said hey we we looked at the uh, FMCSA and they said that he was good so hey we you know that should absolve us of 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 any liability if 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 the uh if the governing body said that this person was satisfactory you know uh, leave us out of it leave us out of the the, the litigation but I, I yeah. understand I understand I understand where they're coming from on, on, on that front. But it, that's kind of to me that seems like that should have been standard operating procedures in most brokerage houses anyway, it should have been. Uh I don't I'm not sure if that's always the case, but it
0: <laughs> Yeah. Uh you know, you you need to do reference checks. Um, you know, and you need to have standards. And you'll find that most good brokers, if you're gonna deal with a good broker and you send them your info if he gives you that load before he even, you know, checks your info, you got to kind of wonder what sort of shop he's running. Right, right. But um, going back
1: to what we was talking about before, I just wanted to kind of throw those things out real quick and check to see what you had to take on those. But going back to the the whole thing, and there, there are man, there seems to be more and more people that are coming out with these different apps. I mean, there's there's Com Freight, there's Ten Four. There's a whole bunch of people that that are dropping, like you said earlier, a whole bunch of money into this trying to eliminate the human aspect of freight movement to a degree, trying to eliminate the broker outright and just try and and try to, you know, do a kind of the Uber, Uber Uberization of trucking. Um, and I'm not sure if that's
0: a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I don't see where, where do it's going to benefit. Over. Well, Rico, what I'm concerned, and I'm all for, I'm in favor of Uber. Okay, and I, I blogged about that a month or two ago, and I think that it's a, I think it's a good system. Uh, but there's a big difference between me putting my fat behind in somebody's car and through Uber, and me putting twenty-four pallets of either my freight or. Somebody else's freight that i've been you know that I'm handling uh, under the a trust arrangement onto some stranger you know that I met on you know uh, through Uber or that type right. of arrangement and And I think that your good shippers are not about to go and tender any other freight to some sort of a an online system like that. It still goes to relationships once the relationship is made. Then they don't want the human element in, involved as much as they used to, and there are all sorts of systems and, and technologies available. One of the uh, slickest ones I've seen is Lean Logistics, um, and it's right. basically a, a format that some of my customers use, and they use it. Uh, they'll, they'll use it for the RFQ, and once they pick their ten, their carriers are going to use, um, we end up updating this thing. We're doing everybody's job for them. And it's slick. And I give them full kudos for that because they've really downloaded everybody's job onto the carrier, which is great. But, you know, at the end of the day, when I have – it's great for them. It's not so good for us because we have to hire more right. people. And, again, on the brokerage side, that erodes profitability and on my carrier side, again, it erodes profitability because now I have to put technology doesn't do everything. And and that technology is, I just had a meeting with a, um, a young fellow today, and that sort of technology that is going to advise the customer where freight is at all times, that's like it's he, here in some cases. Uh, in other cases, it is like right around the corner where, you know, small one- and two-truck operations are going to have that um, technology available to them. And if they don't like it, it'll still be available to them because the shipper will be in control of it. And that that one is actually available now. There's a a system where uh, the customer puts basically a tracking system on one of his skids, and it's used for refrigerated freight, And it tells them everything they want to know. You know, even sudden movements. So if you slam your brakes on in order to avoid a crash or something and the skids uh, move a little bit, they're alerted. And I think they're 30-minute updates. So technology is really taking a huge foothold in our industry. It's going to change things drastically anyways. But you're still going to need the human element. Because people still want to deal with people. At the end of the day, when there's a problem, it doesn't matter what side you're on, whether you're you're the shipper, the carrier, the broker. It doesn't matter. You want to deal with somebody. You want to be able to phone a company and say, "Hey, I got a problem," and get it solved. Try calling right, Uber. Right, and
1: that that's one of the biggest things. That you're right, and and I think that. One of the things that we definitely, um, you know, I think that there's definitely the technology is getting to a point where uh, it probably could accommodate, in theory, what it is that they're trying to accommodate. But like you were just saying, um, it it takes out a dedicated contact person. You know, if you have some, if you have issues or something like that, uh, it's good to have a liaison on the inside of whatever
0: company that you're using that can resolve or get to whatever your problem is. That's right. You know, up in Canada, I've seen two of these startups in the last 10, uh, maybe 12 12 years. One was uh, more recent was Freytopolis. And it was exactly like this, uh, you know, where it wasn't an app, but it was really designed. uh, It was shipper to broker, shipper to carrier and take the broker out of the equation. And right, the sales guy came in here, and I knew him. he was an old hand, and he was one of those really good, polished sales guys. He was a real pro, and he told me the whole thing, and I just looked at him, and I said, "You know what? This, you should take this dog behind the barn and shoot it right now, Paul, because it's, this is why it's not going to fly." I said, "You got you have no problem lining up truckers because they're sales. Truckers need sales." I said, where are you going to get the critical mass of shippers? That's what you need. And you would have to have one heck of a large sales force. It would have to be as big as Yellow or, or YRC or one of those guys to really do this thing right. And that costs millions. And... And, 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 I, um, and, and, I, I, and like you said, I don't think you're going to
1: get enough early adopters for that to even be successful. In theory, it makes all it, 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 you know in theory, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world that you know that with, with all the GPS tracking, if a truck is sitting in a, in a spot and he can show his equipment empty and, in theory, yeah in, in theory, I get all the, the, the nuts and bolts of it, but I think that you know that human element is definitely going to have to be there and, and it has to stay involved in, in the whole process. Um, so we got Matt that got that has a got has his hand up, wants to get in and ask us a question or make a comment, so we're gonna try to bring Matt on board with us real quick. Matt, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, good afternoon, Matt Youngblood. What's what's going on, Matt? Uh, well <laughs> this, this has
2: gone around for well, probably over a decade. I mean really goes back to the internet was gonna get rid of brokers. And You know, I mean, the technology has been around since the Internet's been around, so um, that there was a way to do it. You know, obviously, we're going to have advancements, but the people that really control this, Chuck was just touching on that, are the shippers. It doesn't matter what the trucking industry wants. The shippers are the ones paying the bill, and they're the ones that want a relationship, and when something goes wrong, they want to know who they can call a contact instead of, you know, just ABC trucking company that they've never heard of and never loaded before.
0: Right. At the end of the day, they want to so know who they have to the key. Yeah, yeah. That's they, exactly it, Matt. Uh, they demand the relationship. And even, uh, you know, I can just picture it, you know, as, as you say that, um, you know, some large company hiring some young kid. Because remember, all these startups are done by people that uh, were probably born... Um, you know, well after 1985. You know, that's who the brains are behind all this technology. And all the money is being spent on technology. Well, that's great. But you need to get out and market the technology. And that's the... Developing the technology is really the cheap part.
3: Yeah. Right. I,
2: I say it. The, um... You know, from our end, it sounds good, but... I look at it like you ship. You know, it's really the only people on the shipping side that are going to want this are the race to the bottom. You know, the people that want it moved as cheap as they can absolutely get it. And so, for actually for the trucking side, I don't see apps like this actually being in our favor because it's going to reduce rates, not
1: right. And that's I mean, I mean, that's you, what that's a great point, I, Matt.
2: Uh, it I might cut out the middleman, it. but it's going to cut out that rate on the shippers end, not add value
0: on the trucking side. Yeah, you know, who as a carrier? So we take a load off one of these boards, and there's a problem, and you call the, um, you know, you call the shipper, and you get voicemail, and you call the receiver, and you get voicemail. And what the hell are you gonna do? You got a load of whatever, it could be chicken, it could be french fries, it could be steel, and you you know, you're having some sort of an issue. Yeah. Right. And there's no to yeah. contact. No
2: no contact and they say, I mean the reason all large manufacturers and shippers have gone to brokers is that's less people they have to hire. I mean they just they got their computer printout of all their loads, and they email it to the broker and say, "You know, here's a, you know, what, depending upon their size, here's fifty or a hundred loads that you got to cover this week." Yep, and
0: you figure it out. Yeah, we do the work for them. They're, they're really yep. they're downloading their workload onto the broker, well, right? Yeah, they've they've gotten rid of their
2: transportation departments. And, oh yeah. You know, subcontract that out to a broker, and that's. Yeah, like you, you started out saying, you know, we all, um, we all would love to have direct customers, and it is probably one of the hardest things to do.
0: Yeah, because unless you're specialized in some sort of facet, there, you're going to have a difficult time getting that direct customer. Yeah, yeah. Just I speaking think, of I the, think um, that, I think that one of the uh, things
1: that that what as the, just my opinion the genie in the bottle I think for most motor carriers is that we have to um, we have to have a brokerage or at least be an agent for a broker so that when we can try to go out there and and, and achieve some direct customers don't we not just going in there and just saying hey I got one truck two trucks or whatever You're going in there and you're positioning you know you put on both hats while you're in there but you got to go in there and and bring that value proposition to that to that particular direct shipper because most times, nine times out of ten, um, there are a lot of a lot of people aren't aren't making face to face sales calls these days. So no you know, and, and if and if the decision maker if, if you happen to look up and you ca- and you catch a place where the person that can actually give you the PO is actually right there at that at that venue where you are, then I think you have you are definitely positioned yourself to be and a better and a better uh, you know provide a better value to them, and you can sell yourself, and you know, and nothing beats that. You know, we're just talking about human interaction. Nothing beats that eyeball to eyeball, kneecap to kneecap, belly button to belly button interaction. You know, and and, and if you can win yourself and sell yourself, and and try to uh, proposition a value proposition to that particular customer, and I think that that might be the genie in the bottle to to unlocking and getting some more direct customers. Um, but, I, but I think that there are definitely direct customers out there to be had on a smaller level. These big guys, you know, we can't deal with the Fortune 500 companies because, you know, you, you probably have to have some serious inside track to get into some of those guys. But, but definitely, you know, some of the, smallest,
0: the smaller fish out there, I think that there's still opportunities out there to be had by us. You know, Rico, it i got to say something here. It, it really depends on where you are as far as location. If, you're, if you don't have an inside track and you're in a big city uh, like Atlanta or Chicago, uh, yeah, you're going to have a, a hard time penetrating any of those Fortune 500 companies. But if you're in a small community, chances are the decision maker at that plant that's in your town as part of a Fortune 500 company is, you know, his kids go to, um, you know, they go play baseball with your kids or, um, you know, it's one of the service clubs or church or whatever, you know who that is. And those great big huge companies, they need little guys here and there. They thrive on them. And they don't need the little guy with one or two trucks that's located in that town to take their cross-country trips, uh, you know, going from, Iowa to California, and dropping 50 trailers. There's enough Schneiders and Hunts and Werners and all those other guys to do that. But what they do need is they need that guy that's located in their town to take a rush shipment or pick up a rush shipment that's 100 miles away that they can say, here, Bill, go and pick this up. And they know darn well Bill will be there, and he'll do it. And and they thrive on that. And if you're in a small town, that's, that's where you get your direct customer from. But you're going to have to change your business model and you won't be traveling to, you know, to the other side of the country. Most likely you're going to be traveling, you know, 50 or 100 miles. You may never even finish getting the truck at a high range. But if you're willing to do that, then you can build a business. And I've seen it all over the place. I look at a lot of these smaller carriers and mid-sized carriers in where we are here in Ontario or right across in Canada. And that's where most of them all started. Uh, they started by being the one or two truck operator for a for a factory or a mine or an implement company or something. And, and that's the foot you need in the door. So there is hope if you're in one of those communities. If you're in one of the big cities like Chicago or Atlanta, I hope you have an uncle that belongs to a service club. And maybe he can help you. Or somebody in your church. But you do need the inside edge there for sure. Right, right.
1: Go so back. You still there? Yep. So, okay, do you yeah, have anything uh, that you want to get in?
2: Uh, well, yeah, like Chuck was just saying there. I mean, that's not only in business, they say every area of life, you know, everyone's connected by what is it like six or seven people. Yep, six degrees uh, of separation. Yep, yep, six degrees of separation, that's it. And, yeah, it, it's amazing, you know, it, like you said, somebody from, you know, soccer, somebody from church, It it, it connections come in the strangest way. It's the cold calls, you know, there's very little things that ever happen from cold calls. And just walking in the door asking for freight, That's
0: that's not how the real world works. Well, you know what? No. You're right, but you have to you have to do everything. I still listen. I've been all together, I've been at this 41 years, and I still probably make um, almost as many cold calls as anybody in this place because I love doing it, and I still get business from cold calls. Cold calling is not dead. No, not at all. You know, and people will tell you it that it's dead, not dead, but you know, um, all of a sudden. You make that call, and you may have to make 20 calls until somebody's interested. Right. But but you make that call, and the individual on the other end of the phone was just let down by his carrier or just got a contract that fits into what you do. And if you don't ask, you don't and well,
1: get it. Well, not only that, but the, the the other thing that I found out, is, you because know, I'm starting to do, um, I'm starting to try to take my sales a lot more seriously and, and going out and trying to make more sales calls but, and I'm, so I'm doing more research and doing more studying on sales. And the the key thing that I keep finding, and keep running into when I talked about this before, you know, before I was saying that the, uh, the studies that I had read before were saying that you need to touch them at least three times. But now there's the more studies that I'm finding out and that I'm reading that says that you need to be making contact with a person before you get that, uh, before you get that order. You need to be making contact with them at least a minimum of five times. On oh, the yeah, fifth time, you, you know what i saying? You, you, that may be the time that that may be when you strike gold on that fifth time, not necessarily on the third one. So it's it's a lack of follow through, and, and you know what I'm saying, when it comes to developing our sales uh, funnels and everything like that, you know, and, and your follow through on your CRM, it's where a lot of sales get lost at the lack of follow through. They all get lost, man. I'm getting I'm I'm getting the sound in my ear that uh, the hour on flew by already got 60 seconds left in the show uh, but we got somebody on on the line that uh, that getting the call screen right now so we're going to definitely get that question that person's question uh, answered uh, Matt you got anything you want to add real quickly uh, no that's it that's a great show again thanks Matt all right appreciate it Matt and let's go and grab uh, I'll tell you what. Hold on a second, Brandon. We're coming right to you. Uh, Chuck, before we get out of here, anything you want to say in closing while we're on the air live?
0: Well, no. Uh, it, this hour flew by. Um, really appreciate the opportunity to share what, I, what I've what i learned in the last 41 years with everybody out there. And I hope everybody, uh, I hope they continue to do well and be safe out there.
1: Cool. Cool. Well. Wanna thank everybody. Uh we just went off the live, air live, but we got Brandon here, so we're going into a little bit of overtime. So if you hang it on, if you got a question or whatever, we we got a few more minutes, go ahead and and press the number, we'll come right to you. So we got uh last year got look two look like two more people that got questions. So we're gonna go jump and grab Brandon real quickly. Brandon, you're up on the air with Rico and Chuck. How can we help? Hey, how
4: you doing, Rico? Um I had a all right. the right. podcast. Uh, last week, about uh, you know me dealing with my first shipper. and I uh, actually met up with them this week, and uh, so far so good. Um, but they gave me some great advice on how to get more shippers. You know, because they really just told me just you know what they want to see. You know what I'm saying? And you know now they want to have a zone coverage. You know, I talk about the map, not just oh I cover 48 states or I do Midwest or the South region. They want you know what I'm saying? They basically just painted a picture of what I need to do, you know what I'm saying, to get more business, not just theirs. And I was relating back to what you uh was just talking about as far as getting customers. Um it was through a family relationship. You know, I mean I live in Michigan, you know, that's basically automotive area. I mean I know people that work at plants. I know people that work at different industries in my in my city. So I mean it just it just open up your mouth and just say you know, who, who handles the shipping and receiving department? I have a trucking company or, you know, have a carrier. Have your own carrier packet. That's what I learned from dealing with my first shipper. Have hey, your you own dream. carrier packet. You know, this is my... that. I mean, you have to break it down. This is my rates for if I have... If it needs to be expedited, ground, the the trip uh, rates, you know, as far as the weight every, every pound, how much you charge, and you can go from there. I mean, you can go to multiple companies, small companies, with your rate package, you know, this is, and pass them out. I mean, you might have to go to 50 to get five customers, you know what I'm saying, with the area. So, I mean, that's what I'm learning now. That's what I'm working on now is getting my, getting my carrier, my own carrier package to sell my company, basically, you know, to a shipper. I think that's a great idea that I got from my first ship I'm dealing with.
1: We appreciate the feedback, Brandon, and congratulations on all the success. Uh, please stay, stay in contact with us and, and, and share, come back and share some more information if you'd be so inclined so we can try to, you know, maybe inspire and motivate some other people to kind of jump out there and take that step.
4: Oh, yeah, my, definitely. And I'm going to see you, you know, ask something else, too. But, you know, I know in biz, I've in i been in business. I have multiple companies, and, uh, you know, I'm not just trucking. I mean, trucking is my passion. That's my main core but, you know, I like the fact that what you said, if you got a load, if your driver can't do it, you gotta get in the truck sometimes. Some people get that authority or they become unoperated, they don't wanna get back in the truck. You know, they they never make any excuse to not to, but you know, that's just gonna show the type of business owner you are. I mean, I, I make sacrifices for my company. You know what I'm saying? That's that's just me. If I'm gonna if I gotta do a load, that's one the of my drivers can't do. I'm going to do. it. I'm getting that truck. This <laughs> I got to cancel whatever vacation plans or even if with the family, whatever I got to get in that truck. <laughs> and I think that's very important with come you know becoming a having an own authority and becoming an own operator. Is you got to take command. You get I mean this company starts and ends with you. That period.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you got any questions? Got anything you want to uh, ask Chuck? Probably got them on the line. or you good?
4: No, I'm good. I'm good. I just want to add in now.
1: All right, Brandon. Well, we appreciate the feedback. There yeah, you go, and like grab, Brandon,
0: uh,
1: let's go and grab we got George calling right, let's in. Let's grab George forth. real quickly. George, are you there?
3: Oh, you got me?
1: I got you, buddy.
3: Oh, jeez. I well I, I told her I since it was in the, the show and you had other calls, I thought she uh was putting me off. But um Hey, Chuck, you just kind of nailed it right on there. Uh, you know, I mean, the, you know, even with my background in sales, it's still hard. It's still tough. But that cold call, you don't know what that will present. And you've got to pound on so many doors. And, you know, I mean, it, you know, much of what I've seen for success has come from the last 20 years of sales calls. But, you know, I mean, we're already talking, as Rico knows, we're adding our second truck. The driver starts a week from tomorrow. Um, that second truck is almost done and identified and ready for, to go for, the. Comp- are already planning for next year of Rochester sales calls is not enough for me in New York. I need to now target next spring of hitting Buffalo and Syracuse. And, you know, you've got to market yourself. Um, but that is, there's, there's a ton of business out here and oh, know, yeah. these, these folks that are, that are whining and crying, you know what, I'm sorry, but you've got to do something to help yourself. And it starts right there with pounding on the door.
0: Yeah, the phone won't ring by itself.
3: No, and and, you know, this is an industry also that is, I'll say it this way, shippers, receivers view transportation as a nuisance. And I've said this before, and people, you know, they just get frustrated by it because it's not easy. And like you said, the sales call out there is not easy. You know, but just, you know, market yourself and it's right down to everything. And it'll all come together and and as you build your snowball, remember as you roll it, it starts getting bigger and bigger. Of course, so right? You're, you're, yeah, your your word is your word, and you've got to honor that.
0: You know, how do you think C.H. Uh, Robinson got to be like you know the sales in the billions?
3: You're preaching to the choir.
0: Yep. Right. <laughs> you know, and they started with uh, you know I'm sure they just started with one transaction. Yeah. Actually, I think. You know, and our,
3: our our full our full plan is to go in the direction of asset based. That's what right. I've always sold. That's what I've always believed in. That's what I like. I won't say that. I won't consider a brokerage down the road, but boy, I better be able to figure out how to maintain the control that I want and I sell to my customers. And that is the right. big thing. I mean, you know, we just closed a, a huge contract, really probably our first one we've ever done. We've always kind of just been there to take care of people, but I mean, this one account, I just started doing fill-in work, and it started blossoming to more and more and more, and then in May, they kind of said, can you get me another truck? I said, oh, what do you mean, like a friend? He goes, no, can you get another one of you? I want another guy like you that will do this, we will give you three loads a week, here's the commitment, bang, put it all together, and you know, then it just goes down that avenue, but it takes a ton of work, and this is all power-only work. And Rico and I have talked about it, and I'm talking power only work with rates that are, you know, crushing anything you talked about in the earlier of the show. You know, it's <laughs> out there.
0: That's fantastic.
3: You know, now, now of Absolutely. course, I'm, I'm now getting to my point of, you know, scared out of my mind of, okay, well, I promised this. Now I have to deliver.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, it. Right. You, know, you promise it, you got to deliver it.
3: Yeah, and it is so much of that. As, you know, Kim and I have, have talked so much about that. Unfortunately, I've got a wife also that has worked in logistics and supply chain. And actually, when we met, she was an account executive in the freight industry. And, you know, but when you talk about, you know, buying the truck, and I, I don't mean to pick on people, like that, and that's the way it's going to come across, but we have. Many people that come out here and they buy a truck, and they, really I think what they're doing is buying themselves a job, and that's not the way to do it. I mean, we just bought the second truck, but you know we shelled out money to buy the truck. Yes, it's a used truck. I, I fully evaluated it. I followed the truck for a year and then bought it. But then we bought it. Well, okay, we knew we were going to do kingpins. Well, there was 950 Well, let's do the suspension pushing. That was another $1,100. Well, I'm going to do tires anyway, so we just did tires. There's 3300 uh, well, I'm not Hello. sending it down the road looking the way it is. So we're re- de-identifying it and re-lettering it. There's another fourteen hundred, but this is all part of what you need to do.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, um, I've looked at I've I've looked at it from all ways with trucks, and there's only two ways to do this properly, and and brand new isn't the answer because first of all, most of them are no damn good, and the ones that are any good are too damn expensive. So that that just doesn't work economically. So if you're lucky, you can go out and buy yourself a, a good-used truck, a high-end one. And there's only two, as far as I'm concerned, do this. There's only two makes you can do this. It's got to be a, a Peter Kenworth and only certain models. And you run it for about six months. And I don't care if it's the best truck in the world, sell it. Before it costs you something, you go buy another one. And I've done that before and had a free truck. And the other thing to do is just go buy any truck, uh, you know, something that's in 1999, and take it to a shop and get it rebuilt from bumper to bumper. Do the motor, do the transmission, do everything, and you basically have a brand new truck. And that's the only way to do this thing.
3: Well, you know, with both of the trucks that I bought and and one, the first one, is I'm still driving it now, and that, the second one's a Peterbilt, but I mean, I hunted for months for those trucks, but when I started getting the list of things that were replaced and done on the trucks, I mean, that Peterbilt got 1.3 million, but the engine's been done, the transmission's been done, it worked in the trade show industry, so it never hauled over 60,000 pounds, the airbags were done. Um, I mean the stuff that I'm doing on the suspension was about to be done. The air conditioning. You know, you start doing all this. I mean repairs in a truck are one thousand, two thousand, five thousand. And don't cry oh, yeah. when it happens. It's what it is. Yep.
0: Yeah.
1: Right, right. And I wish we had that on, on, on tape what you just said there, Chuck, about uh, uh about the older trucks I, I really wish <laughs> we had uh, had that recorded but uh but you know the, most of the people out there that that uh follow Kevin Rutherford and everything they already know and understand that part of uh some of the some of the newer people that may not be familiar with that that we you know trying to preach that gospel to them you know you don't have to run out here and buy a 2015 or a 2012 and and, and anything yourself with <laughs> a crazy a crazy uh 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 Truck load and, and have the nightmares of trying to get it, you know, throwing parts at something, trying to get it fixed when it's not operating properly, uh, you know, at least with the older ones, yeah, you may, you know, you may put a lot of money in it initially up front, but when it, when it breaks, they know how to fix it. And these new ones, I mean, just think about it. There's there's not even anybody that has 10 years
0: experience working on DPF systems. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know it, it's mind-boggling and, and the stuff that goes wrong with them and everything is uh is so expensive what we've ended up doing here is i've just uh leased a whole bunch of rider trucks and they're right used right off your plate yeah you know what i looked at the cost of running those and i looked at the cost of running my 2013 volvos and i've sold my volvos and they're all getting replaced with rider trucks and I've done that. I've been transitioning that for a while.
1: George, you got anything else you want to add? we got one more call. I want to get in. And we don't want to take too no, much of Chuck's you, time. You so guys just... go
3: ahead and, uh, Rico, I'll catch up with you. See if we can try to cross our paths finally tomorrow.
1: Yes, sir. But let's see if we can maybe catch, catch up one another and, and grab lunch or something.
3: Yep. And nice talking to you, Chuck. I need to give you oh, a buzz, too.
0: Always a pleasure. Yeah. One of these days, I'll get to Rochester go visit you. <laughs>
3: Sounds good. Sounds like a pleasure. Let's not do it this time of year.
0: Okay. <laughs>
3: okay,
1: bye. Take care. Nice talking to you. All day. right. And we got one more call, Chuck, that wants to get in tonight. That's Aaron. Aaron, you're on live with Rico and Chuck. How can we help?
5: Hey, how's it going, fellas? I was Good. just calling because um, I heard a show a few weeks ago with you audit, Chuck, and um, you gave out your number. You, you kind of piqued my interest when you were talking about LTL freight. And like I say, you piqued my interest, and I, I, I'm a carrier, and I'm just one uh, one truck operator right now. I've been doing that for the past couple of years, and I'm on the cusp of leasing on another owner-operator. And I wanted to focus more on LTL, um, and I wanted to get your take on it in, in this current state, in this economy, and, and hear what you all had to say about that. And I also want to get your number again, too, so I have to misplace
0: Okay. Well, first of all, I'll give you my number. Uh, my extension, first of all, is 203. That's really important. And the phone number is 800-388-4352. Okay. Got it. Okay. Now, um, whereabouts are you based out of? I'm in the north, uh, the southeastern part of
5: Virginia. I'm based out of Norfolk, Virginia. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, now where are you running to? Uh, I do a lot of running. That's the thing I like. I like doing the lane, getting up into the Harrisburg market of PA as a head. hall a lot of times where I go further east of that, up into central New Jersey areas, used as a head hall And our triangle between, like I said, the Harrisburg market and Elizabeth, let's say Elizabeth market of New Jersey, and our triangle between. My home base in those in either particular direction. It's, it's it's been pretty good. I don't have any direct customers as of yet, but um, I'm wanting to. I I have a couple of brokers that I deal with. It's almost it's like they, it's a weekly. It's a weekly deal between us. So if if you would consider that as somebody direct, and they just renewed their contract with the shipper, and, and I get a pretty good rate coming out of uh North Delaware, actually. It's usually my home home Okay. Uh, coming to, coming out of New York Delaware. So I, I, that's how I've been running my operation, and I and I want to go at a maybe a couple of LTL customers
0: and, and, and pitch something to them. I'm not sure about how
5: to go about it.
0: Well, uh, you know what? I think your best bet to start with, um, you've got you've got a geographical area you're pinpointing. I would start with brokers. Okay. Right. Um, you know, there's several good brokers out there. Um, that you can call, let them know what you're doing. Um, and I when you say LTL, I hope you're talking the not the traditional LTL which is one skid, but you're talking quarter loads and stuff like that. Yes sir. yes sir. Okay, well, if you're doing that, um, you'll do real well. In some cases, you'll get 5 and 6 quarters on a truck. As somebody will move, you know, they, they'll ship, um, you know, ship a quarter load and it's six, it's four pallets. Exactly. Um, easiest way to do it is, you know, have a have your full load rate, your half load rate, um, you know, your three-quarter, your quarter. Um, pretty hard, you could do two skids. You know, you start getting into, if it's heavy, you can do two skids. If it's light, it's going to be a challenge because you're going to be you know, you're going to be competing with all the big guys. Right. And historically, a lot of those big guys don't want those larger LTLs, especially the heavy ones. And those are the ones you need to go after. Okay. So if you're going after direct customers, find companies that ship heavy products. Um, anything that's heavy. Flour is heavy. Mind you, flour normally gets shipped full loads, but you may have a, a flour mill that Mills a specialty type flour okay uh paper companies if it's specialty paper remember if it's regular uh you know roll stock or whatever they call it it's shipped forty four thousand pounds but All if right. it's a- spe- if it's a specialty paper uh use you know packaging things that um things that maybe the traditional guys you know the traditional guys will not want a half load. You know, a company like Conway, which is now Expo XPO, um, if they get a half load, a lot of times that fills up one of their pups. They don't really want that. That okay. really hurts their revenue. But guys like you, where you could put, you know, um, two, you know, two halves and a quarter on a truck, you want that stuff.
5: Okay. Okay. So tend to lean towards the heavier more dense products like the flower and I and I do quite a bit of paper stock now. Um in the in the winter times I kind of tried to do the lane between home my home base here in Norfolk and I run to Cincinnati or Louisville. I I, I was getting a pretty strong rate a a uh, better than average rate in those lanes um uh, coming out of here hauling
0: paper stock and I would work my way back east. Okay, your big problem, okay, uh, your big challenge for you, you need to, if you're going to do this LTL thing, you've got to slow down. Mm-hmm. You need to, okay. if you're going to be successful at this, you need to pick a couple of points. You are in no position to be a 24 or a 12-state carrier with one truck or two trucks. You're going right. to blow your brains out. Right. If you want to be successful, you pick uh, You pick a route, Okay. You know, if it's 83 Highway, if that's where you're going to go up, that's your route. Right. And and just stick with that. Don't try. You can't be running, because what will happen to you with partial loads, if you're going to build a business, whether it's through brokers or through your own customers, if you're going to build this business, you can't be running to Cincinnati one week, and with that same truck, be running up to Harrisburg. Because you're going to lose your audience real quickly. Right, right. I understand. This, this well, was my post. So last,
5: last,
1: last, last week we talked about, we, I kind of made mention a little bit about uh, advertising. You know, and, and I'm asking this question. Uh, sounds like if he's going to have his designated area doing his LTL run, he definitely... Maybe would want to consider advertising his his, his particular lane, his route, what we were just talking about. Uh, well,
0: and, and, yeah, and Rico, he's going to blow a lot of the, the way to advertise. If you want great advertising for that lane, and you're going to run that lane, uh, what I would do is, where I'd spend all my money is, uh, what year is your trailer? It's the 2 trailer. Okay. Uh, okay, does it look real nice? Yeah, it does. Okay. Um, if it doesn't, I was going to tell you to to probably go get it a paint job, but if it looks real nice, go and get it, uh, either wrapped. Now the problem with wrapping is it will, um, it's expensive. It looks beautiful. Um, doesn't last forever and it will eat the, you'll get corrosion up here. Anyways, I saw what it did to a customer's trailer, um, that left it on for a few years. But get the trailer lettered up one way or another, telling the world what you do. Okay. Direct service from Norfolk to H- Harrisburg, LTL, along eighty three, and put all those cities down there on your trailer. Okay. All your so all those it, whistle stops. And, and and it's interesting that you said that too, because
5: I I just set aside some funds to do exactly that and use that as a marketing because I know how powerful it is to to see the advertising just and right down the street. I tend to look at all of that. So the people who are in the industry will will look too. I understand the power of that. So that was just confirmation. You say that was confirmation of going forward with that one. That dragging my feet on
0: Yeah, you know, with LTL, and if you if you advertise on that trailer, you do LTL. Um, a lot of the brokers in the U.S. aren't anxious to go after that stuff. Um, right certainly the big carriers aren't going to bother you, and your competition already knows where the freight is. I think what, doing that is pretty benign. You know, as I've mentioned before on the show, I don't leather most of my trailers for a number of reasons. Um, you know, and the biggest one, uh, well, there's two big ones. Number one, uh, if, God forbid, you're involved in one of those crashes, even when it's not your fault and there's trucks all over the road, uh, your name is on the 5 o'clock news. And, uh, and secondly, it does show the world where you're loading, including your competition. But what you're doing is pretty unique and it's not easy and you're going to have some hard times, trust me, but you can build a damn good business because if you look at the competition, there's, there's not a whole lot in that market. Right. It, it doesn't fit in. It's kind of a, it's a weird market in your country, especially that nobody wants. The, the big guys, uh, the big truckload carriers don't want it. Um, you know, if they if they move a half load, they just charge the customer for a full load, so there's no advantage of them phoning one of the big mega carriers, the Hunts or the Schneiders or whoever. Um, and of course, again, the LTL guys don't want that heavy stuff, and they don't want that half load. And there's probably an LTL sales guy listening to this, they're saying, Yes I do, yes I do, but his terminal manager really doesn't because it hurts revenue.
1: Okay. That's correct. You know, I can I can I can definitely vouch for that coming from a twenty thousand
0: pound load on ten skids is a nightmare for an LTL terminal manager. Well, they don't well back at
1: the company that I used to work for, LTL company, they didn't want any one any one shipment over ten thousand pounds. That's right. They did not like even one thousand counts. And actually, yeah. and actually, actually, they cut it down to they, they cut it. They were trying
0: to cut it down to like six. Yeah, because it's it doesn't work <laughs> in their model, but it'll work right. in yours. Okay, okay, before I let you fellas go, what, what is the best
5: time to get in touch with you, Chuck?
0: Um, You know what? Afternoons is usually really good. Okay,
5: all right. And I do appreciate you, gentleman's time and good talking with you. The pleasure is mine,
0: and good luck. I like what you're doing.
5: All right, thank you. All man. right, Eric. All
1: right, we're we'll the
0: phone call. All right.
1: All right, Chuck. That wraps us up. We cleaned out everybody that had the hand raised. We still got a couple people. We, well, we still got a few people that had a hunk on through the, through the show, even though we wasn't recording. So, want to thank you guys for your patience and your uh, persistence hanging in there with us. And uh, Chuck, anything you want to say before we actually get out of here for real
4: this time?
0: No, you know what? I've had a great time, Rico, and uh, you know, and I'm glad we ended that, that this uh, this segment with Aaron. You know, because I think he's really he's on to something. There's a guy that's going to be successful if he does this.
1: Right, right, and like you said, that that is a, that is a little bit of a tough little niche, but if but if you stick to it and you start building it up, you become the go to person on that particular lane, and
0: and you got that all to yourself basically. That's right. And, and you know, you got to, I think I've said it before, you guys in the States have a wonderful playground. Uh, you know, you got shippers all over, and you got freight going all over, and uh, freight moves every which way in your country. So, um, you know, if anybody's listening that wants opportunity, that's where it is. If you want to reach me, anybody, you can reach me on email at traffics T R A F F I X dot com. And you can always call me, my extension, 203. Number eight hundred three eight eight four three five two. Again, my extension two zero three. Um, and if anybody needs loads, I'll do my best to help you get loaded wherever you are. I do have extra loads that go domestically in the U.S. that my trucks do not do. So be glad to help you there. Rico, all right. have a safe week and a successful week.
1: Hey, thank you, Joe. We appreciate for you all your being so gracious with your time and everything. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And of, course, Good night. To, thank you too. and of course, we want to tell everyone to stay on listen, listening with us. We would appreciate you guys. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to come and listen and uh, share some information with us as well. So we will try to catch up with you guys same time next week, God willing. In the meantime, you guys, everybody be safe out there. Keep the shiny side up to you next week. And we want to thank those who made the show possible. You don't want to be remiss in doing that. want to thank... Uh, the entire Less Truck team, Kevin and Lisa Rutherford, for making giving us this platform to bring this show to you guys. So once again, God bless you. Good night. Be safe out there, everybody.
0: Good night, Rio. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855 800 puel That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the Ride Down the Audio Road.